Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. Welcome to another exciting, thrilling, once-in-a-lifetime episode of FNO InsureTech. And I say that because each one of our episodes is unique, different, and unlike the one before it. Isn't that that right, Lee Boyd, my co-host? That is very true, co-host Rob Beller. Each one uh, is unique because it's not just about InsureTech. It's about the the people behind InsureTech. I mean, a lot of times our podcasts really go into people's lives and they give us an opportunity to to learn more than just insure tech. But the one thing that we all have in common is insurance. Yes, that's true. Lee and I travel the world mm-hmm. virtually. Virtually. In order to bring you unique and different people who have created support and drive insure tech forward. Yeah. That sounded like an advertisement. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh-huh. We mm. might want to clip that out and stick that at the beginning of every episode. What do you think? I like that. I think that's a great idea, Rob. But it's true. I mean, this week we've gone all the way from Tel Aviv to Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. To, you know, identical places. They look identical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people. They everybody speaks the same language. Yep, yep. Nothing different about those two locations. Not a thing, and uh, they're both on the ocean. But isn't it funny that Columbus, Ohio, is such a insurance hub? Columbus, Ohio, is happening. It's happening. Lots of insurance there. Oh my gosh, I cannot begin to tell you how many episodes we have done that have originated from Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, lots of them. Lots of them. We had yeah. Ilya Bodner on recently, who's in Columbus. And today's guest, yeah, today's guest, Steve Lekas, the CEO and co-founder of Branch Insurance. Branch is such a fascinating company. He's going to tell us all about it. It's a really neat insurer tech who allows you to bundle your home and auto and get quotes basically instantly with just a little bit, like two questions. Uh, a little bit of information. It's going to be great to get to talk to him. He is a brilliant person uh, who has a wonderful perspective on the world of insurance. So I think everyone's in for a treat today. It's fair to say that uh, Steve is brilliant, and you will hear that as we go through this. And he's applied all of that intellect into an insurance company that I think you'll be really surprised from and kind of blown away the way that they look at insurance and what they're doing to provide it to their members. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be wonderful. Why don't we go out on a limb here and let everyone listen to it? So without further ado, here is our interview with Steve Lekas, CEO and co-founder of Branch Insurance. Hey, everybody. We are here with our guest today. We have Steve Lekas who is the co-founder and CEO of Branch Insurance. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We've heard so much about Branch, and we've wanted to have you on, so we're glad you're here. 
And so you are a Columbus guy? Newly Columbus. I grew up closer to Cleveland, Ohio, and then had been in Chicago, San Francisco, and working out of Jersey City, New Jersey. Wow. But we chose Columbus as the right place to build a long-term insurance business, mm-hmm. you know, largely algorithmically. And then we visited and we've been very happy with the choice to date. The insurance infrastructure there is some of the best in the country. Wouldn't Obviously, you agree with that. You know, it is. There's a lot of insurance talent here. It wasn't one of our criteria for choosing it, oddly. We chose Columbus for a number of reasons. One of them is when you're making insurance in a competitive market, largely a commodity product, the cost of the creation of the business is passed back to your consumers. I've had a chance to do this in San Francisco, and it's a, it's a different competitive space to be in with that overhead. But also Columbus is wonderful because it's growing rapidly and people don't know about it. And so that I think an investor's mindset, it's always best to invest in something other people don't yet understand the value of. Uh, and it's really uh, a great, great place to be building for, for many reasons, but those two included. Well, awesome. Well, let's jump into talking about Branch. Why don't we start by having you share with us what Branch Insurance is, what you guys do, and the space that you're in within the industry, and why are you an tech? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Branch Insurance is a technological insurance company. We're full stack, but we're built in much more the cooperative ideal. We're a reciprocal exchange with a for-profit attorney, in fact. The thing that Branch does that's really unique are many. We are the first ability for consumers to bundle home and car insurance digitally. We are the first ability for a consumer to buy an online umbrella product. We underwrite our products instantly. Uh, And so that can be binarily instantly, like we need your name and address, and then we give you prices. We've never offered an insurance quote uh, by the the old archaic definition of a number that might not be the real number. And we also uh, distribute through multiple channels where it can be advantageous to have an instant price for insurance. And we use all of these differentiated capabilities to bring really good insurance to the community. I use those words intentionally because insurance is a product of a group of people pooling their resources. And Branch seeks to reintroduce that old good concept that's really a thread from the noble purpose that insurance serves in society, which is enabling societal growth by allowing each of us to transfer and then take on risk. Right. And Branch's mission then is to make insurance less expensive so that more people can be insured. And as Branch fundamentally reduces the price of insurance, our 501c3 safety nest is designed to combat the financial exclusion of uninsurance and help more people be included in the safety that insurance provides. I mean, that's all fascinating. We were talking to somebody recently, and they were saying Branch is the company to watch out for. You know, they are a big deal. You know, I want to ask you a question about bundling. You were saying that you were the first to bundle. Is it 
is that a difficult process for a company like yours to do? I, I know many of them out there are doing only homeowners right now. Why is it difficult to bundle your auto and home in, in those services? Yeah, Lee, it's a great question. There's a bunch of stuff in it. But first, it's a different underwriting skill set, right? Different philosophy, different data model. For most existing insurers and everyone who started with a single line of business, it means that you optimized first for a single product line and you typically then have different systems. And so then the regulators treat them separately. And so Mm -hmm. then you'll have different people. And ultimately, the industry has grown up around separate systems, people, P&Ls, incentive structures. And the agency historically has been the only moment where a consumer can actually see the advantage of bundling. And for agents, that means that they have a comparative rater for home and a comparative rater for auto. And for consumers, it means if you go out to a, a quote aggregator website, you will you can get a view of prices for one line of insurance. Mm-hmm. But insurance, the last hundred years of insurance is heavily built on the idea of bundling. Uh, and even to present day, the largest part of the premium market in personal PNC is people who own homes who also own cars. And because we have real savings and loss cost justification, our customers save real money by bundling, not just with branch, but this has been around for for decades. And because of that, consumers want to uh, bundle. They expect the convenience and savings of of bundling. And, uh, And it is quite hard to do, especially if you didn't build it to serve that consumer need and instead try to retrofit because you built two things that were both complex and then put them together. I see. So whenever, whenever you're selling your products, what, what separates you from, uh, you know, more of your legacy, larger companies out there who sell, right? Your, your brick and mortar uh, insurance companies, what, what, what separates you from say the state farms, progressives, those sort of companies? Yeah, there's a number of of really big things. Um, The first is the experience will be incredibly obviously different, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, even if you thought of just getting a quote for home insurance uh, from one of those large incumbent insurers, we'll give you an instant price. Uh, And so on average, there's going to be about 150 fields you have to fill out to get a real price from an existing insurer. And with branch, it's name and address. Oh, that's the the just the beginning of it. The the second and, and very tangible thing is that we allow consumers to buy uh, insurance in moments that are relevant to them. And so that may be through an through an agent. That may be directly on our website, and that may be while they're buying a home or buying a car or home security. Uh, and so these ideas of bringing insurance that's frictionless in its acquisition to moments that are relevant to consumers has this wonderful virtuous ability to flip the way we think about insurance uh, today. And and if I just describe that in a little less uh, vagary, (laughs) in the way that we make insurance prices, we price every policy so that the acquisition cost and commission is baked into the product. Sure. 
right? It's why a company like Geico will on average save people money relative to the agency writers, right? We've known this for forever. It's also the reason that Allstate and State Farm are big, right? Because, um, well, especially Allstate, a company that started in the Sears catalog as a seven question coupon that you mailed in and the overhead was exceptionally low in a business that had Amazon-like distribution in its day. And so if, if you know that the acquisition cost is baked in, the existing business model of insurance is for consumers to have to find it, though it was not a need on its own. It's in all cases in home and car insurance, a byproduct of another transaction, right? You bought a house, you bought a car, and as a result, you need insurance. And so because it's on you, the consumer, to go find it, we optimize our advertising budgets around getting you to think of us when you are finally shopping because it's hard to buy. And you can ask any consumer, a part of our retention in the industry is based on the fact that no one wants to deal with it because it's hard to do. Yes. And because this model is is high customer effort. And because of that effort, I know you'll only shop two to three insurance companies when you do shop, then I will spend money to get you to think of me when you are shopping. And that spend underpins the cost of the product you ultimately pay. And so we, you know, the ability to be frictionless in acquisition for us was a big part of how we thought of, about how you would make insurance less expensive and do good for your customers while you did it. And what you can then think of is if you could flip the model to bring insurance to consumers in moments of convenience when it was relevant to them, it provides them uh, empowerment through transparency because you're buying a house that your loan amount is based in part on what your insurance outflows of expense will be. But you have no idea what that number is and neither does your lender. Um, it gives you convenience of the moment in, with exceptional ease. But because of that, it doesn't necessarily require the same level of advertising expense or agency commissions that had pre-existed. And so you know, the question isn't, you know, how is branch just different if you went through the process, though you'll feel it, it's quite different. The question is, what is what is more good for society? And we think that insurance is inherently good, hasn't always been used that way, but that's why we talk about a mission of making insurance less expensive and bringing those that have been left behind back into the fold. Let's go down that path for a second. So you're, you're, you're moving towards your community orientation, what you're talking about now, right? Tell us about your community focus, the community pledge. What's that about? I mean, th those are typically things we're not talking about on our podcast with carriers. Help us to understand what that's about. Yeah, thanks, Robert. And I love the question. You know, on the community side, I mentioned earlier that Insurance is a communal good. It is the pooling by each of us of small bits of resources so that when something bad happens to any one of us, the rest of us, our capital is there for them. Mm -hmm. Insurance mm -hmm. is actually only a business of moving capital. This is how the business has always worked. But the money was always 
our customers' money. We, we live in a very strange industry where, you know, half of the marketplace is nonprofit, right? The, the old cooperative model has been very successful in insurance. Mm-hmm. And the reason, like a mutual doesn't typically own its own surplus, right? That's the idea. It's owned by the policyholders. And so in this model, Branch is trying to reintroduce uh, the idea that insurance is a communal product and there and use it to better align incentives because, you know, when I grew up in, in claims in my early days in the industry and, you know, the phone call that that always got me when I was doing small property claims adjusting is you'd take, you know, the most end of the spectrum phone call was a, a customer who called and said, I had a theft. I say, I'm so sorry to hear it. And they, they said, thank you. And I asked them what did, what was taken? And they said, well, my laptop, my TV and 13 uh, Prada bags. And <laughs> I, I always responded with, oh, um, it's terrible. Um, let me get working on, on the process. I'll, I'll talk you through the steps. And by the way, just send me the receipts uh, uh, from the Prada bags. And they'd say, oh, you know, I paid cash. And I would say, that's understandable. Why don't you send me a copy? I'm sorry, they would say, no, I don't have the receipts. I would say, why don't you send me copies of the uh, credit card statements? They would say I paid cash and then I would cut the check. And, and so like there's an element of how insurance works because we have individualized it from a moment in time where there were farmers sitting around a table or, or business owners sitting around a table, knowing that if something bad happened, everyone else was kicking in, right? The, we evolved from accessible policies where the delta between premiums would come directly out of your pocket and we would frequently help each other rebuild. Like this is how it started in this country. And so this idea of community is an ancient idea, but it's the purer idea of how the product actually works. It's false uh, to think that, you know, I'm here, Branch is here and going to save you. Branch isn't. Branch is just facilitating the community's funds. And we're happy to show you how efficient it can be. And as a result, we've structured this in a for-profit cooperative, as I mentioned, which means that we don't do any better or worse if we pay a lot or a little in claims. Um, and so in that model, we've tried to align uh, incentives. And your your question on community pledge, which is a very distinct kind of uh, certain part of our product, we ask our, our members to take the community pledge. And through our mobile app, you'll have this ability to, uh, to initiate that I will not defraud the community. And if a person takes this step, then once they have taken the pledge, we allow them to expose their pledge to other people that they know who are also members of the branch community. And when they take this step, if they're if their friends who branch also knows vouches for them, right? You've taken, Rob's taken the pledge. He asks Lee to vouch for him all through the app, all technologically uh, uh, designed. Then in a few minutes, uh, Rob will be getting a new insurance discount because we've sorted him in a way that technology allows uh, to move non-fraud 
out of uh, the bucket that we couldn't identify who was fraud and who wasn't. And as a result, we begin to reflect a different price for insurance. All of these methods are designed around, you know, using technology to better serve our community. Is that working? Is your fraud rate lower than other insurance companies? I would suggest it is. I mean, at least yeah, as far yeah. as the insure techs go, we've had really positive outcomes in the early days, which typically folks are, are uh, you know, trying to solve a loss ratio problem out of the gate. Right. But, you know, Lee, these kinds of things take a long while to develop. I mean, you guys have a, a deep background in the, in the claims space. Why will this work? There, there's a couple of really interesting aspects to it. But my favorite one, and, and you know, if we, we're all talking from a claims handling perspective for a moment, the first and longest part of an SIU investigation tends to be figuring out who all is involved and where else are they playing, right? It's a network problem. And why would a fraudster for a very small discount self-identify their network? It's wonderfully elegant as far as allowing people to band together, and it provides us, the insurer, all kinds of new interesting data uh, that helps us extend our ability to assign a correct price for the risk. But it also engages our clients in a way that we get to tell you throughout your lifetime with us, you know, we're so happy that we know you because you've been vouched for by, by your friend Rob. Yeah. And there's tremendous power in the identity threat and uh, uh, other psychologies that uh, we get a chance sure. to use to, to the benefit of the community and to each of our customers who now get new control. over. I might do something sketchy if no one's watching. Yeah. But if I know that somebody's yeah. watching, I'm locks keep honest people honest. Um, I, mean, I love that. I think that's, that's genius. And I love that you're able to get out there and, and give it a shot. It's really trying to find the good in the world. And I love that. Well, you know, Lee, it's, it's funny too, because when we were in the earliest moments of the company, as we talked about the incentive uh, conflicts, um, you know, consumers, agents, company, like all through the value chain, so much of our business is around aligning incentives and trust. Right. And there is an element of someone has to take the first step. Right. right. I mean, we're an opaque business as an industry because the, the contract language is complex from decades and decades of, of litigation. And so how do you, you know, consumers don't always know that they have all that they need when they have it. Right. There's a game of, of odds here. And so our mantra, the way we talk with our members is branches getting back to getting each other's backs. And we think that that's really all anyone wants, but it's way easier said than done. And I'm exceptionally proud that we have, you know, 4.9 stars on Google reviews. Yeah, I saw that. Because we live it across the company, right? The, the wonderful aspect of being a mission-driven company and then tying your brand to the mission and then building your culture off of the brand is it allows your, uh, your team to live the thing you ask them to be for your customers. And the discipline it requires of management is to live that with your team. And if you wire it right, it comes through pretty pretty brightly. And uh, that's been a really positive aspect of us delivering to our customers what we promise to them. Sticking with the community question for a minute, how does it help you from a cost standpoint? I kind of feel almost like you're a little bit like a mutual, right? But that's almost a separate question. I know that you're trying to keep money from having to be spent on 
advertising and marketing so that you can use it more effectively elsewhere and that the community helps you to do that. Is that correct? That is correct. Not in all cases, Rob, but we have other structures that allow our members to keep the funds rather than have us spend on advertising. So that's definitely an aspect. And and your your almost question about mutuals, I, I love the mutual model. I love the cooperative model. But the challenge as I've studied the market, you know, why why wasn't the mutual model perfect? And, and I think, you know, from the consumer's perspective of if we all banded together, it should be perfectly efficient. I think there's been two historic challenges. In the early days, it was that there wasn't a governance over mutuals and they tended to bust, you know, become insolvent much more frequently than stock companies. Mm-hmm. You know, that has kind of gone away with regulation as the regulatory model has matured. But the other aspect is it's hard to fundraise as a mutual um, because there's no profit motive. And as a result, mutuals have to conserve regulatory capital in a unique way. And the customer no longer realizes it's their money that the mutual is sitting on it. And, you know, you can Google, you'll find all kinds of lawsuits trying to get mutuals to give some of the money back, but the incentives aren't as aligned as, as would be perfect. And so we tried to perfect the model by creating a small and fair um, profit motive for the manager of the mutual, but separate the manager from the uh, consumer-owned business, and then remind our membership in new ways that they do own it. Uh, and you know, we'll be launching uh, a new feature, uh, not too distant future, that as a reciprocal exchange, our members actually vest in the dividends. And so if you thought about this idea that, that became in vogue for just a short period around peer-to-peer insurance, and we, we all as an industry said, but that's how it always worked, the, the efficiency of your insurance dollar is partially in how much you pay, but in how much you're dividended back, right? And the industry has been dividending for centuries, just uh, not in a very big way, especially in the, the most recent terms, some, some companies as exceptions. And so continuing to align those incentives, we reinforce that our members own the insurance business itself. And then we remind them where the money goes and put as much of it back to our consumers as it's possible. Because the real opportunity as far as how the market will continue to change is if it becomes or or it is a commodity, depending who you ask, then it should be much more efficient after 250 years and 400 competitors at all times. That kind of leads into a question about your partners that you do business with and that you work back and forth with. Like we, some, some of the partners on your uh, website we've had on our show, like, like Kangaroo as an example. Talk about how you're using partners and partnerships and uh, does that tie in with your embedded insurance initiatives? Yeah, it does, Rob. I mean, it's a really important part of how we see the future of this business. It's really that 
that cycle I described earlier of high effort means the prices that we expect today versus if it were low effort, it could actually be less expensive um, because insurance creates challenges in many other industries. Home security is a great example. For decades, our industry, the, the PNC insurance industry and home security companies have been close, very close. And for decades, we've tried to work with one another. And that's typically been in a very, a pretty superficial way where the home security company wants the home insurer to give greater discounts. And the home security companies market that it's not actually as expensive as it seems, you'll get insurance discounts. But what we've found as an industry is those discounts are not justified. And the reason is we don't know who deserves to get the discount. And so in the current model, if you buy home security system, you believe you probably get a home insurance discount. You don't know what the value of that thing is. You're then asked to print out a certificate and take it to your insurance company, who then would tell you that you'll have a discount coming and what that, that discount amount would be. But the consumer could have so much more power in information if you knew what the price was in the moment that they were thinking to buy home security. So there's this very relevant entanglement. And by the way, as an industry, we've been shrinking the size of those discounts for years. And the reason we have, I mentioned, if you don't know, if I had you, if I had Rob give me a certificate that showed he had ADT, and then Rob left ADT, I would still be giving the discount. And, and then mm -hmm. if Lee Correct. also had ADT, but he didn't call me his insurance agent for whatever reason to yeah. let me know, then he would never get the discount. And when I do the actuarial study, I'm comparing people who have the discount according to our data, who are getting the discount to everyone else. And that's that loss profile, you know, how many claims that ultimately are paid is what we then compare to determine how, how deep the discount should be. And so as the data has been poorer and poorer and more people have been getting the discounts that shouldn't be, it's kind of a wash. Like the discount is not deserved generally. But as you heard me say, this is a data problem. And the consumer is at the worst end of this because the home security customer should be getting a discount because they have expended their own capital to prevent and protect. And so by bringing the industries together, by laying aside our technical limitations of our industry, as well as our, our you know, having the humility to try to solve problems for their marketplaces, we can design insurance solutions that fit that embedded moment. It can't just be, well, I've got this product and I sell it through agents. And so we're just going to sell it in this, in this moment for a home security company. You have to redesign how you bring it to market, which reverberates through every aspect of your operation. And it had to be built for the market to do it. But absolutely, those partners that you see, uh, companies like uh, you mentioned Kangaroo or Rocket Mortgage and Quicken Loans or ADT, you know, these are industries uh, and companies where insurance has caused real friction for many, many years, and there hasn't been a solution. And the big loser has been the customer, uh, and both industries feel the pain. 
So yes, absolutely. Those types of partnerships, though we have partnerships in so many different places and ways, those are very much uh, about how we see this, this future of low customer effort, convenience, and ease. Well, it's interesting because you don't just see your policyholders, or as you call them, your members, as members of a community, you see these partners. I mean, it's a community orientation there as well, that you're not all these freestanding monoliths, right, in a field, but rather there's an interconnectivity between you all. It's absolutely right. We founded Branch with humility as one of our values. And in humility, you know, just saying that we're not the deity, we're not trying to create this big insurance brand that you've fallen in love with. We're trying to to do something that's positive for society. And we think that the first good we'll do is for everyone generally that insurance can be less expensive. And then we treat you like a human and we try to ensure that all of our partners are doing really well. And so it comes through in all our counterparty transactions and all our partnerships. And you know, I, I, I love the, the outcomes we've gotten from consumers because we have pretty normal insurance underwriting outcomes. And so with this kind of customer happiness, you could presume that, oh, well, they're probably just overpaying claims and customers are happy or they're probably doing something else that doesn't make sense, but it's actually a much more humane version of insurance that people, you know, it's easy to far exceed the expectation because uh, everyone's conditioned from their history. And we serve a market that's not buying insurance for the first time, right? People who own homes who also own cars and seek convenience and savings, um, you know, they've, they've tended to have bought insurance a number of times before. And, uh, and as a result, we're, we're wowing them without, uh, you know, without compromising on underwriting integrity and doing positive things for society. Well, I think about another company who uses the phrase members. There are a few of them, as you know, and I think of USAA, who is a vendor. When you attend a meeting with USAA, they don't, they don't speak of their insureds. They speak of their members. On the claim side, when you go and interact with a USAA member, it's very common for them to say, I've been a USAA member since 1989 or since 2003 or for 38 years. And knowing exactly how long they've been with the company and how long they've been a part of it. And they really do feel a kinship and a membership to the company. And I think that that makes probably on the claims end of it for better outcomes. I know from our own experience working claims for USAA that it's frequently a more pleasant experience for us, the claim vendor, working with a member of USAA. And it's because they are a member as opposed to an insured. They are a community. They do belong. And uh, so I think it's really interesting that you guys are trying to bring that into a different part of the market. You're not an affinity company like USAA is with the military. It's a honorable and bold initiative that you guys have undertaken. Yeah, Rob, I agree with you. I mean, USAA is a wonderful company. I think, you know, they have this wonderful trifecta of a large affinity group, 
which they've expanded significantly over the years. A low-cost business model, right, already delivering on a direct basis, and then highly, highly bundled, right, not just in insurance, but into the bank, into financial services. And the thing that then makes it all pop is that they are one of the few insurers that have a real uh, singular focus, and it is all about the member experience. You can't talk to them about anything without speaking about the member experience. It's a wonderful aspect of USAA, and I've had a similar experience as a vendor to USAA. You know, they work differently with you. Members as a naming convention is pretty... It's been used for reciprocals for ages because a reciprocal exchange is not a corporate entity. It exists only when the insurance department says, yes, this association of humans who are reciprocating a contractual agreement is now approved to insure itself. And so as a result, every reciprocal exchange different than these other types of insurance models is a an association of a membership. That's where the the name comes from. Yeah, like AAA. AAA, Erie and Farmers are are other well-known examples. But, you know, there was a huge boom in reciprocal reciprocal creation uh, between 1900 and 1921. And uh, and then it kind of went out of fashion. The reason there was a boom is it was believed you couldn't regulate our freedom to contract. And so there were no surplus requirements. And so it went out of style and there's only, you know, I think it's something very small, less than 10%, like 6% or something of insurance companies or reciprocals, but it's, it's come back in vogue a bit of late. Yeah. Like that branch insurance is, is at it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly like that. We are so enjoying this conversation. We have a, just a few more questions for you because I know you have to go make a living here, but. I'm in California, and I I already expressed this to uh, Steve offline before we started that I'm incredibly angry at him that Branch isn't available here, because as you might want to know, I am shopping for a bundled policy right now. So are you coming to California? Is that happening? You guys are only in, what, seven or ten states, something like that? Eight. We we launched Oklahoma uh, on Monday, so I think we just impressed about it. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, Rob, you know, the the wonderful and difficult thing about starting from scratch is, you know, the regulations exist for good reason, but they're a high barrier to entry. And one of those barriers is geographic expansion. The the model is is such that it's built so that you can be domiciled in a state and then have other states recognize that license. But many states uh, have regulations that say, well, you can't come here until you've got one year of operating history, two years, three years, or five years of operating history, which people call seasoning. And so, you know, that's, uh, it's just to get a good look and make sure that you're, you're good enough in yeah. this marketplace. Yeah. But it definitely slows down uh, how fast you can get places. And that said, Branch has been working on this for some time. You can imagine serving some of the big brands that we serve, that we've got to match their footprint. And so you'll see us coming to California in the shorter term. Good. But you should wait before you shop. <laughs> okay. Then that leads me to my next question. If you were in California or if I was in one of the, in Oklahoma, for example, and I had a policy in Oklahoma today, 
and I went to your website and I, I answered your two questions, most likely would I save money? Yeah, most likely you'll save money. A couple of things. So first of all, most likely you'll save money on each policy that you buy. Even more likely you'll save money on the bundle. And it depends tremendously on how you meet us. Our business is not just risk segmenting, it's expense segmenting. And so we reflect the cost of acquisition in the product, just like all insurance companies do. We just segment it at a finer level. Uh, And so we're built to make insurance less expensive and we've designed the product so that it has less cost in it. And so the answer very generally is yes. For most consumers, uh, we will save them money. For many consumers, we will save them, you know, huge sums of money. And that's the entire reason that we think we'll continue to be privileged for growth. And, and if you go ahead and read some of those reviews, you know, not surprising, many people saved significantly when they switched. I'm sure the question that, you know, some of our listeners were wondering is, you know, will I save money? I mean, if there's one thing that Geico has been very effective of doing, it's planting the seed in our head that if you go with one of their policies, you'll save money. True, I don't know how true that is. I've never tried, but obviously that's a very important attribute of your company. Well, and, and Rob, if I could too, you know, on that point about Geico, why can Geico say that? And if it were not true, there would be, it'd be unfair ad practices, right? Other insurance companies would challenge them. But the fact is that because if you thought of like the the simple truth that sometimes I think is a hard truth is that our industry will will have spent last year about $8 billion on advertising in home and car. My goodness, my goodness. But we will have spent about $33 billion on agency commissions. The simple math here that becomes, you know, somewhat the, the truism is that when you buy insurance through an agency, an agency can provide tremendous value. And many people will and, and should buy through agencies for that reason. The agency takes a commission that endures for the life of the policy, which in that in a simple math, let's say the policies last for 10 years. If the policy was $1,000, then the agency, uh, is, if they're getting 10%, to make it simple, is, is making a, a, getting a cut of $1,000, right? Now, GEICO has only an upfront spend, and that makes it painful. It's why you'll see some of the insure techs that have gone public with really difficult near-term economics because in a direct-to-consumer business, you're spending your acquisition costs in advance of any revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so in Geico's model, you know, for simple math, they'll spend $500 per acquisition and it's all upfront. And so if you run through that math, then Geico can amortize the $500. And if it was 10 years where the agency customer is spending $100 per year, Geico's customer is going to spend $50 a year. So it's half. Well, in the simple math, it actually works out yeah. to be significantly less than half, but it comes right. out to be, you know, call it between 11 and 15% on average relative to the market in savings. And this is why Geico gets to say it unchallenged because on average, that business model advantage that Buffett calls their moat 
is it's just math. Like there's nothing mysterious about it, right? This presumes that everyone has the same loss profile, right? And so if you're a national writer writing just about everyone and everything, then you probably all do have a similar loss profile and then you're differentiating based on your expense structure. And that's the challenge that, you know, we've seen a lot of the market shifting towards Geico and Progressive Direct because the price differential but it's, you know, I only say it because people ask me this question frequently. And, and from my perspective, it's just, it's moving capital, right? And so it's it's all about math. And that's the math. We've run out of time, but I, I'm upset that there's several things left on my list that I wanted to cover with you. I mean, we didn't even really get to talk about Steve much. Your resume, for those of us who are insurance people, you have an amazing resume. And it kind of gets back to something that we were talking about before you know, one of my things that is on my mind lately are people like yourself who have a deep insurance background, who've taken that deep insurance background into insurance technology or into an insure tech, if you will, if you don't mind me calling you guys that. Please. I think that's such a potent combination. And at some point in the near future, we'd love to have you back on because I'd really like to talk about you and talk about your experiences because I'm sure knowing how thoughtful you are, that branch is kind of the natural progression and sum total of this really interesting background that you have. It all added up together and and branch kind of came out of it. We can't thank you enough for being with us. And like I said, we have to have you back on. I hope you'll consent to that. We won't let you get off the air unless you consent to that. I know I'm happy to. I really appreciate you having me. I'm really glad to spend the time. Okay. Well, we appreciate having you and and hearing all about Branch. Thank you. You know, Lee, Steve said something that totally, completely resonated with me, and that is there hasn't been a lot of innovation about insurance product, especially from a customer facing standpoint, right? I mean, there hasn't, that was an interesting point. I mean, insurance is still kind of insurance. Yeah. You might buy it differently. Yeah. That, Do you that's agree true. with I, that? I would be very interested to see what they come up with. What other product is there, right? There's been the staples for so many years. Uh, is there another thing that we need to be insured for that we're actually losing out on now that we're not insured? And it maybe that's like we talked on a couple of podcasts ago about events or rentals made for Airbnbs. I I don't know. I don't know what that would be. I think that it was really refreshing to hear his story or really the information about the company. Because like we said, we didn't really get to his story, but the information about his company and just that they're trying to look at this very differently and do it very differently, even from their corporate structure being a reciprocal exchange from the beginning. Super interesting. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was wonderful. It's always a wonderful time to have somebody like that on who really has a passion for what they do. And then you, you can just hear it whenever they talk. I think we're safe to say pretty smart guy too. Yeah. I, yeah. The whole time we were saying, wow, this guy's <laughs> very smart. 
Yeah. Lee and I kept looking at each other. We're on video and we kept looking at each other going, oh my God, this guy's smart. Yeah. So anyways, big thanks to Steve Leckis for being with us and for making the time and, and sharing the information. And I hope that, I hope I get to buy their insurance soon because uh, I really need it. And if anyone's listening out there to this, please help me find a bundled auto home policy in California. Would you? If that's your business, I'm interested. You can reach me at fnoinsuretech.com. Thank you to Al Moya and Alicia Moss, who without them, this podcast would not exist. Is that fair to say, Lee? A hundred percent. So big thanks to them. And thanks most of all to you, who I guarantee you without you, it wouldn't exist. And so until next time, we'll just say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.